Three, two, one, one, go. Go. Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Tinker Talk, a weekly podcast dedicated to generating thought-provoking discussion points in the world of football. I'm Josh Andrews, and I'm joined by Matthew David, who has given me the rights to do the intro this week because of my lovely voice. Hi, Matthew. That was so much better than my intro last week. Hello. Hello. Thank you. This week we will be discussing Cameroon winning the African Cup of Nations, new government legislation on the FA, and the controversies around the Borussia Dortmund versus Leipzig match on Saturday. So Matthew, Cameroon. Yep, Cameroon won their fifth African Cup of Nations title on Monday against Egypt in Gabon and came from yep. behind to win 2-1. Goals from Nkalu and Abu Bakr cutting out Elneny's opener. But despite their win, the conversation has been more about the players who weren't there than the ones who were. Sure, a lot of talk has been around the absences of Joel Matip and Alan Neom in the Cameroon squad. Why weren't they involved, Matthew? Well, Alan Neom's fairly clear-cut. Um, he originally didn't want to go when he was asked, and then he changed his mind, but by the time he did, he was told it was too late. Matip's a little bit more complicated, because when he was at Schalke, he originally retired from international footballer. International footballer? Sorry. International football, citing uh, past bad experiences with the technical staff. Sure. Um, but because he never put it in writing, the Cameroon FA decided they'd call him up anyway. Right. I'm assuming more in optimism than anything else, because obviously they knew that he'd said he didn't want to play for them anymore. Right. But because of the fact he didn't put it in writing, and the fact they called him up, he wasn't actually able to play for Liverpool for a little while, because he didn't get international clearance. Um. And it's kind of sparked a bit of a conversation about whether or not players should be made to play for their country, or do you think there should be sanctions if they choose not to? Um, I don't feel that would be totally fair. I mean, first of all, I don't think national pride is ingrained into everybody, so being forced to play for your internet for your national team, you know, if 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 for whatever reason you don't feel a particular affinity with that country, there's just no like moral grounds to say, well, you should have to play for them. But even taking that aside, Matip, especially having resigned from international duty prior, you know, previously, and again, paperwork aside, um, I don't think it would be fair to sanction a player who's obviously made it known that he wishes to retire. What about your thoughts? I think... I think players should be encouraged to play for their national team. Um... If, if nothing else, because of the kind of pride and stuff it can bring to the kind of population in those countries. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, obviously if players don't want to play for their national team for whatever reason, it would be hard to think of a, a kind of a fair sanction or kind of, you know, dissuasion, if you'd rather, from actually retiring... From international football. Sure. I mean, uh, I guess a, an easy thing for people to sort of compare this to, I guess, is like if a player like John Stones for England were to refuse to play for his national team, that wouldn't, like, I don't feel like that would sit well, particularly with English fans. I don't that feel that English fans would particularly understand that. But does that? necessarily mean that there's anything wrong with it or not um maybe that could be down to the fact that sort of like the the international tournaments you know that are competed in 
when you consider, you know, the Euros, the World Cup, although Cameroon are obviously involved in that as well. And more, you know, international tournaments like that are more prestigious than the African Cup of Nations. But what would you think about that? I think from kind of our perspective in England and probably perspective in most of Europe, it would be that the African Cup of Nations perhaps isn't, you know, the the biggest of international tournaments. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's... I think that's fairly kind of, like, nearsighted. Because if England won the Euros, for example, people in Brazil, for example, might think, oh, that's no big deal. But here we'd probably feel quite differently. I think the problem is when you look at the kind of teams that compete in the Euros, the Copa America. Copa America, for example, you're talking teams like Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, mm-hmm. who, you know, they can compete on the world stage, whereas in the past, teams from, from, that would compete in the African Cup of Nations perhaps haven't. I mean, the furthest teams got, I think, was Ghana in 2010. I think they got to the semi final. That's of the World Cup. Sorry. Um, so, I think here we maybe view it as not being as important, and it maybe makes the players not wanting to play there a bit more understandable to us. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's it's it's, diff- it's a difficult situation. Oh. Do you say how? I did not say how. I merely said, huh. Oh. Well, I'll answer how anyway and and pretend you did say it. (laughs) Sure, go on then. (laughs) I think because, obviously, you know, Matty didn't want to play before. He wouldn't have changed his mind just because African Cup of Nations came around. Sure. Uh, Neom, I think, will regret it a little bit because, well, he he ended up wanting to play for them. Uh, So... I think you probably, maybe in hindsight, they'll feel like maybe it would have been a good experience to go and have that for their country. But prior thinking maybe, you know what, it, it's only the African Cup of Nations might be the thought. Maybe, you know, there's all likelihood they wouldn't win. I mean, even in the final, Egypt were by far the favourites. Moving on. This week there have been discussions on reforms of the FA, and the government are expecting to vote on a motion of no confidence of the way the FA is currently run. Matthew? Yeah, they, um, there's huge question marks over the way that the money that they have is kind of distributed around for football in the country. Considering the FA are kind of in charge at every level when it comes to football, you know, being the football association, Sure. it does seem that a majority of their money isn't spent in a way that, well, certainly based on their kind of no-confidence vote, or potential sure. no-confidence vote, I should say, the government aren't particularly happy with. Uh, and even so, some of the previous chairmen have kind of said that they don't think that the FA is capable of reforming on its own. Um, what are the government suggesting? Well, Damien Collins, uh, who is the chairman of the DCMS Select Committee, he claims that the only way of reform of the FA can be achieved will be through legislation. And... In that vein, there has been a draft of some legislation drawn up with two major proposals. The first of which is that the FA board must be must have a majority of completely independent members, not members 
from the Premier League or from the Football League, completely independent. And the second change would see the FA Council, who are a separate part of the organisation, lose their ability to veto changes agreed by the board. And failure to get in line with those new governance guidances by April would likely see the FA lose £30 million in public funding. Yeah, I think at the moment, I know you said about the, the board of the FA, I think there's, is it nine out of the 12 current board members are representatives of Premier League and Football League clubs? That's correct. That's kind of ridiculous if you think about it. Um, so, you know, what the government suggests does sound, I mean, it sounds fairly sensible. Sure. Um, um, I mean, we're talking about how the FA is, you know, currently distributing their money as well. I mean, a third of the money that they invest into football is going into the FA Cup, am I right? It is, it is around that. I think they invest about $116.7 million. Their, well, their last financial reports, I think that was the total. Sure. And about $34 million of their investment was just for the FA Cup. Which, you know, maybe that doesn't sound too ridiculous, but for coaching, as well as county FAs, their financial input was $29 million. So that's $5 million less on that than just on their one showpiece tournament, which kind of, I think, shows a little bit how they have slight problems with distributing and how it kind of only... Like, it doesn't get where it's needed as much, perhaps, the funding. I sure. Think that's what the government are, are fairly, I think, disappointed with. That would make sense. I mean, it would be sort of easy, based on those particular, you know, statistics, to explain some of the problems maybe going in in, in the world of football right now. I mean, there are, you know, all this money being invested into a tournament, but ne not necessarily a lot of money going into, you know, new coaches in England, it would explain why there are so many foreign coaches and foreign pay like, players like already being brought into um, England to try and you know boost the quality of it. If the quality isn't coming from the you know grassroots, then where is it going to come from? I don't think that's unfair, and it's not something that's kind of been uncommon. There's been throughout football history, there's a pattern of you know importing from abroad to improve what you have at home. A good example would be Johan Cruyff at Barcelona. Sure. Quality of football in, obviously, the Netherlands was greater than in Spain at the time. It's not the case anymore. And I think, I think obviously, we've done that here. Look at the managers in the, in the top division here now. There's, there's obviously right. a... Well, I don't think anyone would argue there's far better managers in the Premier League now than there's ever been before. So, yeah, I think, I think that's where the FA needs to be looking at trying to get us to. But, if I mean, if the money's not being spent right, which... You know, former chairman of the FA don't seem to believe. The government don't seem to believe. I think generally people in the country maybe wouldn't believe based on the progress we've really kind of made over the last God knows how many years, to be honest. I don't think we've really progressed in terms of the quality of our our coaches and our teams in a long time. That's a fair statement. I mean, it's it's quite, quite difficult. I'm sure the, the government will continue to fund the FA. I don't think it will come to them withdrawing their funding. I wouldn't expect so. Especially with the, you know, I mean, just general football in this country being such a big, you know, thing for everyone involved. It just doesn't make sense for the government to completely stop funding it. No, I completely agree. Speaking about the kind of development of players in England, uh, big name retired in the last week, Frank Lampard. Your thoughts? Uh, one of the best ever to grace the English game. You know, you don't 
score the most goals from midfield in the Premier League and not be considered an all-time great as a result of that. You know, he's clearly, clearly one of the best um, midfielders in the Premier League. There'll always be comparisons between him and the likes of Steven Gerrard and Paul Scholes, and they were obviously the three biggest midfielders of their generation, and I think Frank Lampard can definitely be considered in that realm of class of players. I think that speaks for itself, basically. Yourself? In the past, I've kind of been a bit critical of Frank Lampard, um, which I don't don't know if it's so much that he's maybe not exactly the type of player that I'd like to have at my club kind of thing in terms of watching, but in terms sure. of just sheer contribution, there's no denying that he's one of the greatest players of the Premier League era. Um, but you say there's lots of kind of comparisons with Paul Scholes and Steven Gerrard. They're all very different players, all obviously very, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Frank Lampard's kind of been a sort of you know massive part in turnaround at Chelsea over the years. Uh, him and him and John Terry. So yeah, there, there's no no kind of underestimating his his influence on them. In your opinion, is he the best player Chelsea have ever had? Ooh. Careful there. <laughs> um, I... Are we talking in terms of ability or in terms of influence while at the club? State your opinion for both, why not? In terms of ability, no. I... <laughs> Certain, certainly not in my opinion. Um, that might upset a few people, but okay. Sorry. <laughs> but no, I, I don't think in terms of ability, he is the best player they've ever had. I can think of a few more. Although you would have to go into slightly different positions. Granted, I think Hazard's technically better. He's there now. I, I think that Zola is obviously another, another one. Sure. In terms of the influence... And where he'll stand in the kind of history of the club, I think you'd honestly there's there's the big three there for Chelsea, and I know there's kind of past past glories from yesteryear, um, but I think you know John Terry, Frank Lampard, Didier Drogba are probably going to be, you know, when you look back in maybe thirty, forty years, they'll still be talked about. I think yeah, the spine of the greatest team of the greatest Chelsea team there's ever been. Yeah. So yeah, I mean he's, he's a great player and we'll see what he does next, maybe we'll go into coaching. <laughs> yeah. Um Frank Lampard isn't the only player to announce their retirement this week. Um Philip Lahm. Fairly surprising. He's only thirty four, I believe. Um so he's retiring a bit earlier than, than most people. Sure. Normally do, but undoubtedly one of the, the greatest players of, of the modern era. Um, I agree. In my opinion, probably the best right back in the history of the game. I think. I think perhaps you disagree. Um, I mean, we're 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 being nitpickety when we're saying I disagree. I, I think Cafu is probably going to be remembered as a more important, more revolutionary, and therefore sort of better right back. But 
in terms, I mean, certainly of his generation, the best right back there ever was. Yeah, that, com- yeah, completely agree. I think he's, he's a phenomenal footballer. He's kind of hugely intelligent. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, one I think, club man as well. Yeah, it's there. Um, even you know Frank Lampard, we were talking about a minute ago, was West Ham, Chelsea, Man City, New York, um, and you know he's. I mean, he's only going to be associated with one of them, but sure. But yeah, it's it's a it's not a common thing anymore to be a kind of one club man. And I think Philip Lahm, yeah, I don't I don't think he would ever really have thought about leaving Germany, not properly, not leaving Bayern. Um, but I mean, when you talk about their kind of standing, the two of them to kind of put them together, sure. you're talking about two people who between them have won twenty nine titles, twenty nine major titles as well. That's Spunkers. no, that's no Spunkers. small feat. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, Philip Lahm obviously having won, I believe, seven domestic league titles. Yeah, I think he's won seven seven league titles, six cups, one Champions League. Really should have won more than that, but yeah, yeah just just a, just a one triumph, a couple of other, like near misses, um, and obviously the World Cup. Sure. Um, which Lampard never got close to. <laughs> That's, that's, yeah. Uh, I suppose it kind of helps Lam that he has had such a high quality of kind of players with him at the time. Sure, players that all knew how to work together as well. Yeah, definitely. But, uh, you know, phenomenal accomplishments over both of their careers. And Lampard's, Lampard's not going to play again. Lam won't again after the end of the season. Do you think Lam would make a good coach? Without a doubt, I think. Um, you know, Pep Guardiola, who's kind of renowned as, you know, being one of the, one of the top, top coaches in the world. Sure. Has, has kind of said that he's never worked with someone who's got more footballing intelligence. Um, and I mean, him saying that, I think, is, is kind of backing enough to suggest that, yeah, he would be a phenomenal coach. But I don't think he wants to be. I think he said in the past that, it looks like it would be too much work and too much stress for him, which is well, which is a shame. I guess I guess that's perspective you might get when you you know working under Pep Guardiola. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, two two very good careers, and both will be remembered fondly as two greats of the game. Yep. On the topic of German football, right? There's a big game at the weekend, um, which I I know we both wanted to talk about. Yeah. Being Dortmund versus Leipzig. Indeed. Do you want to get into why? Um, well, just as a quick comment on the actual game itself first. Um, Dortmund won 1-0, and the manager, Dortmund manager Tuchel, has claimed that it was a 4-0 disguised as a 1-0, yeah. in the sense where he believes that Dortmund should have won 4-0. Um, players like Royce um, missing a number of number of opportunities that could have put them further ahead. But that's not the biggest talking point of this game, as prior to the match, I believe, there was quite a lot of violence from the Dortmund fans towards the Leipzig fans. Matthew. Yeah, so, um, I mean, to give you a kind of idea, Leipzig are probably the most hated club in Germany. Um, I want to get a little bit into why... Um, just give give you a bit of a background. 
Sure. Um, so in Germany, they have a rule called the 50 plus 1 rule. Mm-hmm. That means the club members have to have a majority voting stake in the club and how it's right. run. Mm-hmm. Now, in 2009, Red Bull bought a club called Mockenstadt, um, who were at the time in the 5th division in Germany, wanting to make them their 5th their fifth, uh, fifth Red Bull team after Salzburg, New York, Brazil and Ghana. Sure. Um, so, so they bought the rights and the uh, Deutsche Fußballbund, who are the DFB, which is the German equivalent of the FA, um, they wouldn't let them, because of their statutes, they wouldn't let them use the corporate name when naming the club. So when it's kind of, it's called, I think people generally refer to it as kind of Red Bull Leipzig, but the RB actually stands for Rassenball Sport because they weren't allowed to have Red Bull. Mm-hmm. Um, but back to what I was saying about the 50 plus 1, the way that they've kind of gone about it so that Red Bull have the majority of control. At a club like Dortmund, for example, to become a voting member, it costs you €62 Euros per year. Sure. At Leipzig, to become a non-voting member, it costs over €1,000 per year. They have 17 voting members, most of which are Red Bull staff. And right. there's pretty much no way to become a voting member at Leipzig. So, right. whilst they are technically following the rule, they're also you know, exploiting a massive, massive loophole. And fans aren't happy with that. And, I mean, I think that's that's perfectly understandable. Um, statements have been made um, about Leipzig. Uh, from the CEO of Dortmund, I believe, Hans Joachim Watzke dismissing them as being founded purely to sell cans of soda. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I mean, they're, they're definitely doing more than that. Um, sure, second in the Bundesliga. Yeah, I think I don't think there'd be quite as much animosity from you know, a club like Dortmund, who obviously have great history. Leipzig are making theirs now. In fairness, they have come from the fifth division to the Bundesliga in eight years. Sure. Um, so obviously, there's not much of a past there. But I think I think the animosity kind of comes. If put it this way, if Leipzig weren't being successful, there wouldn't be as much hatred around them, I don't think. I think if if they were sitting 18th in the table right now, I don't think there'd be as as much anger towards them as, you know, the fact that they're the only ones really coming close to Bayern in their, their league at the moment. Sure. Um, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you can compare it not 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 directly, obviously, because I don't know how much, much um, corporate and commercial uh the, the comparison is that you can talk about teams like Chelsea and Man City when they initially started making huge investments in the English game. And obviously there was a lot of animosity from other teams because of that. And obviously certain, certainly not to the extreme that we're talking about here. I mean, but you you talk about when, when, when money like this is being brought into a game, and especially in Germany where football is very much the people's game still in that country. And when you have a team like Leipzig who just come up and, you know, purely because of, well, you know, in their eyes, purely because of their money, they, you know, bought themselves a, a league challenge, a title challenge against Bayern Munich. You can understand why people would be a little bit annoyed with that. Yeah, I think, I think people 
let's let's put it this way: if it was a club that wasn't, you know, owned by Red Bull, hadn't come up that quickly, I don't think there'd be a, again. I don't think there'd be as much hate because you look at you look at their squad; it's full of young players, and they aren't players who've cost an arm and a leg either. Sure, I think their record signing. I think it was it. Yeah, it was twelve million pounds for Oliver Burke from Nottingham Forest. Mm-hmm. So that's not exactly them, you know, splashing the cash and buying their way to the top. It's just, I think, you know, Ralph Rangnick's their director of football, and um, you know, he's obsessed with young players. I think, I think, kind of Red Bull's kind of model, at least in Europe. So with Salzburg and Leipzig, has been to get young players, improve them. If they need to sell them on, then sell them on. If they're going to help them challenge, then they'll help them challenge. And I think if that was any club but Leipzig, I think that would be a kind of aim that would be greatly encouraged. Sure. I mean, at the end of the day, it's 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 just the just just the the similar sort of footballing model to many of the other smaller teams around them that you know just happens to be with the great big Red Bull logo on it. Yeah, and they're doing it quite a bit better as well. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, talking about the the kind of scenes that you saw before the match, it's not really welcome uh, at all. Uh, but, I mean, there's images of fans walking around covered in, you know, blood and... Sure. Police being armed with batons and pepper spray and I think there were 28 different charges of, you know, law-breaking. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. What was it, um, what was it that was said that was it the Dortmund Dortmund release statement? I, th- I think, uh, yeah. Uh, whoever expresses their opinion through means of violence and insults, as opposed to arguments, can and will not be a part of the Borussia Dortmund family. That was a quote. Well, a quote from the statement released by Borussia Dortmund not too long after the after the incident. Yeah, I mean, even in that statement in itself is quite interesting because instead of saying that you know they condemn the violence and all this stuff, they are actually. Suggesting, you know what, it's fine. We we don't like them. You know, let's argue and and debate and all that. That's okay. But of course, it is okay um, to kind of have that discussion. I think it's probably healthy. But sure. but yeah, I, I think obviously they had to release a statement. Um, but I I just find it interesting the wording. Sure. Um, it 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 it's not as you know, distant it, it it doesn't distance them from the from the entire thing as much as it probably should. Yeah, I I think yes, it's obviously you know they they're condemning the the acts of violence against you know the fans of Leipzig, but not so much the, the kind of ill feeling towards them. Sure, uh, which is probably understandable, um, whether or not. That feeling would still be there if they won eight points. Is that eight points behind them now? Uh, yeah, yeah. So it was eleven leading into the game. Um, I don't think there'd be so much kind of anger. I think it would be more, you know, glo- gloating with chance rather than than kind of the the violence that was you know displayed. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, do you think? Do you think something like that will will happen here eventually in England with Red Bull? Um, 
I mean, it's not completely out of the question. It's happened in America, it's happened in Austria, it's happened in Germany. Um, I, I guess the, the question would be, where and who? Well, you'd imagine they'd go for a kind of fairly big city. Because that, sure. that seems to be their, their pattern. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, Leipzig being in east... I think, I think I'm going to say that, in east of Germany... Not right. many big teams are in that region. Um, none, in fact. So I think, I think in that area of Germany, it's, it's well welcome. They pack out their stadium every week. Um, yeah. In Austria, so obviously in, in Salzburg. Um, America, New York. So I think you'd kind of be looking at a big city that maybe hasn't got that sort of representation. Um, that sort of quality in the in maybe their you know their recent history hasn't really been challenging at all. You know, like a sleeping giant type of club would be the kind of one that I think they'd end up buying. Yeah. Um. I mean, if you want to talk about clubs in maybe bigger cities, but not necessarily cities that are overly saturated with good football. I mean, you wouldn't think it would be a club in London, just because there's there's you know too too big of a market for. Yes, yeah, big clubs already there. There was to the talk about uh, West Ham originally, though. There were, so, well, there was links with them to wanting to buy West Ham. No, oh, really? Yeah, uh, obviously came to nothing, and I think uh, the, the owners kind of, you know, poo pooed it a bit. You know, said said that it wasn't actually, actually, a kind of genuine interest there. Sure, just speculation. Yeah, um, but. So, so there have been kind of many stories of them looking to invest in England. And I mean, yeah, why wouldn't you? At the end of the well, day, yeah, definitely. However, there there is a problem with it, in, and it might actually be a big problem for them next season. Um, it's a problem. I can't remember who it was had the problem, but there. Oh, it was a uh, the Hearts owner at the time owned a club, I can't remember what the other club he owned was, but there was a problem where they were both going to compete in the Europa League. Okay. And because of the kind of joint the ownership of both clubs, there was a, a problem with that, and that's a problem that Red Bull could face next season, because it looks like Leipzig are very likely to win the... Uh, not win the... qualify for the Champions League. Sure. Um, if Salzburg are in it as well... <laughs> Then there's very likely to be some sort of problem for them there because of you know the fact that they both be competing in the same competition. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, th I think it's a it's kind of to do with you know match fixing and things like that. Yeah. Not not to say they would, but obviously it's best to kind of err on the side of caution. Mhm. Mm so so that remains to be seen. But that would that would be the problem if they bought a club in England as well, because then you'd be talking, you know, they've got a club in England, Germany and Austria all who well you would think in theory would eventually be kind of striving to be in the Champions League. Yeah. And yeah, it would just I think it'd be a bit more of a headache for them than anything else really. Well, there you go. A history on Red Bull and the teams that they've bought in the past. <laughs> Moving on to some of the games that have happened in the English Premier League this this week. Uh, Leicester versus Man United. 
Man United won, I believe, 3-0. Yep. Um, was very convincing. And coming out, out after that match, um, it appears that Ranieri is now the favourite to be sacked first. It's ridiculous, really. You know, you think... How, how many months ago was it now? It was, what, eight months ago? Nine months ago? Yep. They were lifting the Premier League title, and you know, that was unprecedented. No one expected that. Sure. And Leicester? What? <laughs> but, you know, nine months later, he's staring down a barrel, allegedly. It's, it's, um, it's ridiculous, and I think Leicester's board are in a bit of a difficult position by where, you know, Ranieri, you know, he's obviously going to go down as you know, absolute kind of legend for Leicester. Sure. But that could be despite him, you know, being there for a year and three quarters, um, which is kind of a ridiculous discussion, really. Yeah, I mean, just just to be clear, the, the discussion about him being sacked isn't so much ridiculous because of the result. It's purely because of the fact that eight months ago, Leicester were, you know, champions of England. Yeah, I think the the results. Any other manager would probably um probably be in the same situation. I just think it's more surprising because of what happened as recently as eight months ago. Sure, um, it's one hell of a fall from grace. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Leicester are one point off to the relegation places. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were mocking Chelsea last season a bit. For, for you know how badly they defended their title, they'll, they'll be sure. laughing their heads off now. Um, yeah, Leicester have definitely definitely beaten that record for worst title defense. I, I I don't think that will be unfair. Yeah. Um. Um. The board uh, have come out this past week, um, giving Ranieri a vote of confidence. Yeah, that usually ends well when boards do that. Yeah, um, I can remember, I think it was Andre Villas-Boas back when he was at Chelsea. Not too long after he was given his vote of confidence, he was gone. Yeah, that, seem, that seems to be the, the way generally. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I can't, I, yeah, I think Brendan Rodgers got one for Liverpool just before they sacked him. I think Mourinho got one from Chelsea just before they sacked him. Yeah. So it's, um, it's not, Something that I think Ranieri would, I suppose he would have wanted the backing, but whether or not he would have wanted it in that way is, yeah, a public vote of confidence. You know, it's, traditionally is not a vote of confidence. Yeah, it's, um, it's usually leeway a little bit, and that's the sure. best that generally comes from it. Sure, I, albeit if Leicester win their next games, you know, next five games, I don't think they'll be. So much of a, a problem at all. No, but that would, that would be um that would be a big shock, especially considering you know they haven't scored in their last five league games. That that is true. Uh, losing <laughs> the last four. Sure. So, so it's uh yeah it's not positive times for Leicester. No. Um. I mean yeah. It would be such a shame if if things went bad this season after you know the the story of last season it would just not that it would kind of take away what they did last season nothing would do that but it would just taint the the memory of it people would look back on them not as the 
these unlikely champions, it would be they won the league and then got relegated. Sure, you'd be talking about the worst Premier League champions ever. Yeah, um, I mean the last last team to kind of be in the situation there and was Leeds in the first season of the Premier League. Um, you know, the, mm-hmm. the season before they they'd won the league by four points against you know over United. Next season they were fighting relegation. I think they avoided it by a very small amount. Sure. Um, so it looks like Leicester would do the same, but at the same time, with the te- way teams are playing at the bottom of the table at the moment. It's it's questionable whether or not whether or not they will escape. Um, sure. I mean, if they keep playing like they did against United, they definitely won't. No, I mean that's fair to say. Um, but speaking about United, um, after the game, Mourinho um, claimed that people he thinks people now like his style of play. I'm not exactly sure where that's come from. I think. I don't know if he's looking at, you know, teams like Chelsea this season and thinking, oh, they're playing the same way that I like to play, um, because they're they're definitely not playing in the same kind of style that he has. I think what no. he means is that teams are more okay to, you know, set up very defensively and and hit teams on the counter attack. Sure. Which isn't his style so much as his kind of method if if that makes sense yeah um i mean you can talk about like take take chelsea this season now in their game against everton yeah where i think we both agree it's probably the best 90 minutes of football we've seen in a very long time um from one club from one team anyway i it was a good performance very good performance <laughs> it was it was a very strong it was a very strong performance from chelsea um, and, and yeah, at, at no point could that game have ever really been considered dull or boring, no. which is obviously a, a, a sort of descriptive word that's been used to describe Mourinho at almost every club he's been at. So I don't think it's completely accurate for Mourinho to be claiming that he's, his style of play is being, you know, more sort of enjoyed and accepted because good defensive football isn't always boring you can win 5-0 have a very solid defensive performance and be entertaining but that wasn't always the case it was quite often not the case when Mourinho was managing at the clubs that he's managed at albeit in fairness you know because I don't want to take away from this particular victory against Leicester they did actually look very good that day yeah, I think you're saying about teams can kind of be very good defensively and still be entertaining. Um, I think it's more difficult when teams defend in the way that Mourinho's kind of gathered a reputation, really, for setting up his team defensively. Um, sure. You know, you look at Conte, for example, at Chelsea. They mm-hmm. defend from the front. They don't just have their banks at the back. Um, I think Mourinho, you know, he does try to get their teams to his teams to press a bit, a bit at least. Um, but I think whereas Chelsea's defending 
and Man City's defending and and other teams kind of Tottenham as well. Their defending's yeah. more on the front foot, whereas Mourinho's is kind of more on the back foot. He wants people tracking back, covering runs, that sort of stuff. Sure. Um and I don't I don't think that any other teams really play his style of football at least not in the Premier League. So I don't really yeah, I don't really understand what he's talking about. Other games in the Premier League, um Everton Bournemouth would have caught many people's eyes. Sure, 6-3. It was a very entertaining game. game. Yeah, it was very entertaining. So good. Um could have been more goals for both teams as well, which is slightly crazy. Um, sure. I mean, you wouldn't imagine either of the managers being particularly pleased with the defence, certainly. That particular match. Yeah. Uh, I think Koeman will be slightly happier than, than Eddie Howe. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I don't think that's unfair. Uh, especially when you have a player like Romelu Lukaku, who's... I mean, definitely player of the match for this particular game. Uh, how how highly do you rate his performance? Uh, he was unplayable. Um, he grabbed four goals, took him to to top of the the scoring charts in the Premier League. He's on sixteen now. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's twenty three, and he's at that age. He's got the third highest goal tally of any player. It's either currently active. In world football, or yeah, that that would be it. So the only players who are currently playing who had more goals by his age are Messi and Neymar, which is bonkers. Yeah, it's fairly prestigious company. Yeah, I mean, I don't think either of us are going to start claiming that Lukaku is quite that good. But where would you say that he does rank right now in terms of Premier League strikers? Like, who is he as good as or better than? Is he the best? He's not the best. It's not to say he's not a very good striker. Sure. Um, I mean, that would be a yeah. really Aguero. odd yeah. claim. But uh, yeah, Aguero, I think... Well, Aguero's better than him. Um, I think Kane is better than him. Ibrahimovic is probably better than him. Um, there'd, there'd be an argument it wouldn't... I don't know how valid it would be, but there would be an argument for Diego Costa. Um, sure. I think in in terms of players I could compare him to, he's like a fitter, much more clinical version of Giroud. Which probably doesn't sound like a a great comparison to some people, but in terms of you know, he could finish from most angles, strong in the air, um, can, can probably pin anyone. Sure. I mean, I, I, I don't think that's a entirely fair thing to say, because one of Lukaku's biggest strengths is that he's also able to run in behind. I mean, it's not like one of his necessarily biggest strengths, but he's certainly able to do that. Yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd trust him against one of the slower defenders in the Premier League. That's That's fair. And when you have somebody who is as good on the ball as he is, I mean, granted, he is no Aguero, but he's very good on the ball. He's a bulldozer when he wants to be. Personally, I think when you're talking about Lukaku now, I think you 
I would put him as the second best striker in the Premier League just because I, I don't think there are any weaknesses to his game. And whilst he isn't necessarily proving that week in, week out, you can argue here the, his case for his consistency. But when you're playing for a team like Everton, yes, you're the main man, but you're going to be playing against teams significantly better than you won every three matches. So you're not necessarily going to get a run of, okay, goal here, goal here, two goals here, goal here. You're not going to guarantee that from a player playing at a slightly smaller club than you guys like Aguero and Costa and Kane. Um, I, sp- I suppose so, but I mean, so you think Aguero is the only player who's better than him? Like the only striker? I, I, think, I think arguments could be made for Kane, Ibrahimovic, and Costa. But, I mean, it, I mean I'll mean, i argue the case against Ibrahimovic, where Ibrahimovic, I certainly wouldn't trust in terms of getting behind of a defence. I, I mean, he's not the quickest. I think the difference there is Ibrahimovic maybe doesn't need to. Which I think... That's, that's fair. Do you not think... I mean, if we're talking as a rounded player, I suppose, physically... You know, Lukaku, all Lukaku's got that's as good as Ibrahimovic or better would be his his pace, surely. Um, I mean, perhaps. Um, my argument would be, though, that you could put Lukaku in any team in the Premier League and I would think he'd do well. If you had Ibrahimovic in a team like... Uh, in a team, say, like... Crystal Palace, for example, right? Yeah, a lot of their a lot of their attacks come on the counter attack. I mean, I know that they're not scoring a lot at the moment anyway, but um, a lot of their attacks come from counter attacks. And whilst they have a guy like Benteke who is good in the air, much like Ibrahimovic, um, he he won't necessarily have the pace and the uh, sort of stamina to keep going backwards and forwards at the high intensity that he would have to. If he's not constantly harassing the centre backs in their own half, I don't know if that's completely fair, especially considering I think United's main main threat is on the counter attack, and he's he's doing pretty well there. Um, I don't know. I th- I think Ibrahimovic, I think, has proved himself kind of time and again, but because you know he's settled in everywhere he's been really. That's true. Um, so I think to say that, I mean, I know this isn't what you were saying, but almost to say he wouldn't like cut it at Crystal Palace is a bit, bit of an odd kind of thought. Uh, I think. I mean, he's, he's the oldest player ever to score this many goals in in the Premier League. It's his first season in the Premier League as well. Sure. Um, age permitting, I think we there's not a shadow of a doubt we'd be saying Ibrahimovic is is a better player. Maybe Lukaku is just the kind of player I feel would be um more useful to more teams. I suppose that's not unfair. He definitely cost a lot less in wages. Sure, that too. Um. But no, I think I can. I can understand 
kind of your perspective. I just don't think that he's that good yet. But I mean, he, he is, you know, he's still only 23. He's still got time to get better and better, um, which is quite a scary thought. Sure. Where do you think he could end up if he leaves Everton? What kind of kind of clubs are we talking about? I mean, I mean, there have been links with him recently with, I think, both Chelsea and United. Yeah. Which I, I suppose are easy links to make because, I mean, Lukaku has said that he would be, you know, more than willing to work with Mourinho again. And, you know, when you're Chelsea and you're top of the table, it's kind of easy to say, okay, well, there's a striker who's doing really well. We quite like him. It, it just it's just logical it makes sense yep. um but looking at teams maybe outside the premier league i don't think psg would be the most unrealistic kind of a team to maybe try and go in for him no especially if something happens with cavani sure um and maybe juventus as well with dabala being linked elsewhere yeah it would make sense they've been linked with him in the past Sure. Um, I think. I mean, what about someone like Real Madrid, for example? I think he's the kind of player they'd be looking for. Um, I'm not sure. I think Real Madrid over the years have a tendency have had a tendency to go for the big star names, and there are bigger names in terms of strikers out there right now. Than Lukaku, who I think Madrid will be looking at. Dybala maybe being one. Um, I don't think it would necessarily fit in with their usual method of signing players. But that doesn't mean to say that I don't think he'd be a good buy if he did. I mean, you say that. You look at the last kind of two, I suppose three really, major signings in terms of, you know, being a striker Benzema was kind of making a name for himself he wasn't a massive signing mm. Higuain was a virtual unknown when they signed him um, Murata obviously they signed back am I missing anyone? maybe not but then you have to think okay their best player right now is I'm not going to say getting on a bit as if he's like on the decline. Like he's still definitely one of the best players in the world, but you'd probably be looking at a player who can maybe instantly replace the goals that he may not be able to offer in a few years' time. Yeah, they'll have a bit of difficulty finding that. Yeah, um, but I don't think they're going to be looking at you know a currently mid-table Premier League club for their striker when they could look at teams like. PSG and Juventus and Chelsea and whatnot. I suppose that's not unfair. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I think he'd be a good signing for someone like Real Madrid, PSG, Juventus. I think, I think he'd be a good signing for all of them. Um, he, he'd cost a lot, but yeah, yeah. I, I think he, he's kind of he's got that ability. I think he could play it at the highest level without a doubt. Uh, I agree. Um, another match that was fairly interesting at the weekend. Um, Sunderland 
demolishing Crystal Palace. Indeed. Four uh, 0 Yeah, at Selhurst Park as well. Sure. Um, further cementing my reason for thinking that they will probably stay up. Yeah, I mean Sam Allardyce, you know, playing against his former team wouldn't wouldn't have enjoyed that one at all. No, not at all. Um, Jermaine Defoe bagging two goals in extra time in the first half. Um, not to mention the two goals prior, but he's he's another one who's kind of you know at the well where you think he'd be coming to the end of his career and still bagging in the goals. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think Crystal Palace are in big trouble, especially if they turn in performances like that. Um, sure. I don't think that they necessarily have what it takes to get out of that rut either. Uh, the, I mean, you look at the quality of their players and you think, you know what, they've actually got some really good players there. They've got, you know, Zahar, Benteke, uh, Scott Dan's a good defender, uh, Mandanda's a, a good goalie, Kabai. Uh, I mean, you mentioned Kabai, though. I mean... He was arguably Crystal Palace's worst performer in the in the game against, in the game against Sunderland. Oh yeah, definitely. But it's you know these are the kind of quality players that they have in terms of their ability. It's just they don't seem to have the fight in them or the spirit to get out of it. Um, I mean, you know, their performances like the one against Sunderland are what got Pardew sacked to begin with. Sure. Um. So yeah, they're, they're in big big trouble. There doesn't seem to be any kind of Grit in that team, um, yeah. which which you know, is for Sam Allardyce team. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think for 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 a team being managed under Sam Allardyce, that's almost unheard of. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah. I think think they're in big big trouble. Sure. Um, I I have a question for you. Right. Do you know which players? And I'll, I'll give you the amount. There's five of them. Have scored five goals in a single Premier League match, following in from the fact that Lukaku scored four against Bournemouth. Um. Right. Um. Off the top of my head, no. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to remember of really, really high-scoring games to begin with. Uh. <laughs> I mean, I can remember one without a shadow of a doubt. I remember Berbatov. Yep, yep, that's one of them. Berbatov did it for Manchester United. Other than that, I mean, I mean, I'll help you out a little bit. There was one last season, right? Um, I mean, nobody did it for Newcastle in the last game of the season. Uh, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned Newcastle. Aguero. Yep, Aguero scored five against Newcastle last season. Oh, brilliant. Yep. Uh... <laughs> um, you know, just because this is probably a bit of a, a harder question. Um, sure. Let me give you a little bit. We, we've actually discussed one of the players who scored five in the last few minutes. We, we've talked about them. Defoe? Defoe has scored five in a game, yep. Um, right. Then there's a couple of of English players from the the nineties who did it as well. English players, oh, I've got, I've got to assume Shearer then, surely. Yep, Shearer did it. Um, one more. One more. 
English players from the 90s. Cole? Andy? Cole? That big? Andy Cole is the other one. Ah, nice. Yeah. Have you got a question for me? I do. Um, just going back to something that was also um, uh, talked about earlier on in, the, in, this, in this podcast. What were the original name for the New York Red Bulls? I don't think I'd get this. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm certain I won't won't get this. It might might ring a bell when you tell me, but nope, I don't know. They were the New York slash New Jersey Metro Stars. I did know that. That's really annoying. No, ne- next time I'm not helping you with your question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that that's fair. That's fair. I, I wouldn't have known what to give you for that. Um, you could you could have just said you know train uh, astrology. Train astrology. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hope you've enjoyed our our podcast this week. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, follow on Twitter, like on Facebook. Um, if you want to subscribe on iTunes, you can do that too. Uh, SoundCloud follow as well. Lots of places to find us. Um, But yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye.